0: "'Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. "'So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. "'See, here is what belongs to you.' "'His master replied, "'You wicked, lazy servant. "'So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown gather where I have not scattered seed. "'Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers "'so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest.' So, that he took, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The canticle that we're going to sing together is on page...
2: The second reading can be found on page 1,179. It's taken from Philippians chapter 2 and it starts at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father... He has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, You may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, if I could encourage you to keep your Bibles open at that page, and if you have closed your Bibles to find that passage again, it's on page 1179, and it's Philippians chapter 2. And for the eagle-eyed amongst you, you'll know that we're going backwards in Philippians this morning, and that is because we accidentally confused two readings, to be honest, and therefore uh, the passage that was meant for today was preached last week. And therefore, the passage that's meant for last week is going to be preached today. But be assured that the next time we're in Philippians, we are in the right place. But I didn't want you to miss out on this section. Well, let me pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we pray and ask by the power of your spirit that you might help us to know Jesus, that through it we might hear your voice, thank you that you've already spoken Please speak afresh, we pray this day. Amen. Well, this summer I had the great privilege of holidaying in somewhere called San Diego in California. Anyone heard of it? Yeah. Well, it was a wonderful place and um, lots of glorious sunshine and fabulous Californian culture. But one of the things I'd never done before, which I decided to do for the very first time was to go to what's really an American institution, that is, a baseball game, or what they call a ball game. And it was the San Diego Padres, the home team, versus the Boston Red Sox. Now, fans of the Boston Red Sox are known to be probably the most passionate in Major League Baseball. And so I went with a bit of trepidation because they mixed the fans together in the um, wonderful... uh, stadium that they have there, that, and as I sat down, I was sat next to two rather large Boston Red Sox fans who had probably travelled hundreds, if not nearly a thousand actually, mile to be there. And actually they'd spent a lot of money to be there, and they are very passionate, they were in all their gear. I just happened to have a San Diego baseball cap that I was wearing, and I felt very intimidated by this. And I thought, oh dear, what have I done? What have I done? And I was surrounded by other Red Sox fans because they mix all the fans together. And as the game progressed, um, an amazing turnaround happened. And actually, the San Diego team, who are known to be quite rubbish, actually, won. They won. And the Red Sox, who are one of the best teams in the league, lost. And as soon as uh, the final uh, set of pitches were over. I thought, oh dear, what does this mean? What does this mean? And I I was expecting some kind of animosity, some kind of almost uh, tension that would escalate as people left the stadium. But to my great surprise, wonderfully, as I was leaving, leaving, leaving the stadium with other fans all mixed together, there was just the sheer sense of camaraderie, of friendship and of warmth. And I thought to myself, this is so different. What a relief. What a relief from some of the games I've been to, especially in this country, unfortunately, where that would never happen. That would never happen, actually. In fact, there'd be aggression and even violence. Well, I wanted to start with that because the context of the letter of Philippians is multifaceted, but one of the things that Paul is writing to is a church in which there are internal factions and tension because of different parties. And this is erupting out in various places. And Paul has to address this particular issue of their unity, of their gospel-centered oneness. And he does it in various ways. At the beginning of chapter 2, he speaks of the need to have the same mind of Christ who is the humble one who humbled himself. And therefore they are to humble themselves and to, in humility, count others as more significant than themselves. Just before our reading today, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing, verse 14, so that you may, may become blameless and pure. He knew there was a lot of complaining and arguing going on. He says, no, don't do it. Stop doing it. You're pure and blameless children of God. And then we'll get to, at the beginning of chapter 4, there is a specific issue with two of the leading ladies of the church, Euodia and Sittiche, who seem to have fallen out with each other. And Paul directly addresses them to get it together to actually come to be united afresh for the cause of the gospel. But Paul's ultimate way of solving this problem wasn't just to teach on it, but was also to send two of his most prized people to them, two of his most prized people who would embody the opposite attitude, who would bring healing, an antidote, as it were, to the disease that was spreading in their midst. And their names are the two men that we're looking at this morning. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Two men who radically lived a different way and would hopefully change the Philippian church as they received them from Paul and in Christ's name. And I just want to draw out from this passage two reasons why these two men would have had such powerful effect as they were received by the Philippian church. And the first is this. But these two men knew that the world did not revolve around them. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus had made the decision that they weren't at the centre of their lives, that actually Jesus was, and that their world didn't revolve around them, but around Him. Let's look at Timothy, verse 20. Paul describes Timothy with glowing praise. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul's making a big claim here that everyone else looks after their own interests. It's all about number one. It's all about me. They come first and foremost. But Timothy is different. He's the complete opposite, that he's all about Jesus. They'd seen that firsthand over the years. He was there when the Philippine church was first planted as a young co-worker with Paul, one of his first missionary experiences, in fact. And he'd been there at Paul's side as Paul had continued to nurture that church over the years and over the decades at this point. He'd stuck by his side through thick and thin, and not because it was Paul, but because it was Christ's call upon his life, he was willing to sacrifice it all, leave family behind, leave comfort behind, and endure the same dis- disparaging, the same suffering that Paul went through, Or because his life wasn't about him at all. It was about Jesus. And the same is true of Epaphroditus. Verse 25, just over the page, Paul describes him in glowing terms again. He calls him "my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier," who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs." You can imagine the scene in the Philippian church when they heard that Paul was in prison for the gospel. And they heard, and they thought to themselves, "Oh no, What can we do to help?" They knew that in Roman prisons, there was no support from the prison system. Any food? any water, any provision had to come from your friends who'd bring it to you. And they knew that Paul could potentially be in a disastrous situation. And they knew probably especially that that prison in Rome was of bad repute. People were left there for years on end, totally forgotten about, and even died in that prison. And they would have thought, what can we do? And so they decide to send him a financial gift, some money that can be used to get some food and water brought in but even more than that they decide to send him someone one of themselves to be there at his side on permanent secondment to look after him and probably the call went out amongst the Philippian church who's going to go? who's going to go? and they probably looked at each other thinking, not me not me but this guy steps forward Epaphroditus he steps forward and says I will go I'll travel the thousands of miles by foot. I'll endure the scorn of being probably suspected as soon as I step into that prison. Maybe even risking being locked up myself. I will go. And again, as with Timothy, not because it was anything to do with Paul, but as Paul says later in the passage, because he was doing the work of Christ. Read that in verse 30. He's doing the work of Christ. He recognise that this was Christ's call on his life. And again, his life isn't about him at all. It's about Jesus. And so he willingly goes and puts the pause button, pressed down on his life, and steps out in faith. These two men, when they were received back one after another, first Epaphroditus and then Timothy, would have completely changed the Philippian church. These two men who were so different, who didn't live for themselves at all who didn't squabble, who didn't argue because it was all about them. But they'd learnt, they'd learnt to have their worlds revolving around Jesus. And I want to say today that the same need is as desperately needed today as then. In modern Britain it's often been recognised that we have been living in an increasingly narcissistic age. It's just about us, consumer-driven. What's been called the rise of a cult of the individual. You can see it actually in our favourite consumer devices: the iPhone and the iPad and the iMac. It's all about I, me, actually satisfy my demands, what I want. And the fallout from this is tremendous. It leads to a fractured and chaotic society. To understand this, I want you to imagine a stage production where there are initially five people on the stage and they all say to each other, you have to revolve around me. And then there are ten on the stage and then there are a hundred all saying the exact same thing. No, I'm at the centre of this and you've got to revolve around me. What's going to happen? Utter chaos, utter confusion. Nothing's going to work. And this explains so much about the modern age. It explains the increase in family fracture, of sexual violence, of desperate debts in society. It explains so much that so many are living for themselves. Their walls revolve around them. But actually as Christians and as a Christian church, we're called to model something completely different well, we've said, no, it's not about me. My life is lived orientated around Christ. And that we all find unity and harmony because we're all doing the same thing. We're all revolving around the same person. Many who would look at us if we do this might think that to be very foolish. No doubt, Timothy and Epaphroditus were thought to be by some of their friends and family to be after falls, completely foolish. But actually this was, let me suggest, the wisest decision they and we can make, the absolute wisest one. You see, the Bible teaches that we were always meant to live this way. We were always meant to live for God, him front and center in our lives. And it's a result of our sin and the fall that fractured that, that meant that it was no longer possible. But Jesus came to restore that relationship, taking the costs of that fracture, the sharp shards of sin upon himself. And that means, that means we can live this life once more where everything just is centered on him. A way of explaining this or illustrating this it comes from uh, the days when I used to be an amateur astronomer. And um, I remember reading in a textbook that It used to be medieval times, you'll know this, that many people believed that the solar system or the planets and even the sun revolved around the earth, revolved around us. And then when they looked out on the evening sky and saw the motion of the planets, it didn't quite fit that model. They weren't moving as you'd expect if they revolved around us. And so they came up with a theory called epicycles, which meant that actually these planets and even the sun moved in tiny little circles as they revolved around us like that. And that still didn't fit the pattern. And so they invented yet another theory called epicycles of epicycles where the planets and the sun moved in tiny little circles, in bigger circles, in a bigger circle that revolved around us. Increasingly complex. And it still didn't work. It still didn't quite fit what was observed in the night sky and all it took was the realization that actually it's never going to work because we're not at the center of these things the universe doesn't revolve around us and actually we in fact revolve around the sun and as soon as you realize that and as soon as you try to construct that theory it all fits perfectly it all just works and for us if we try to live life Having everything revolving around us, it's not going to work. I save you the suspense. Don't try it. It's not going to work. You'll get into arguments. You'll build up frustra- frustrations and resentments. You'll become bitter when things don't go your way. But actually, you were meant to live for someone else. You were meant to live life orbiting around the sun, the sun of God. And if you can do that, well, life will work. It will be the way it's meant to be. There will be harmony. There will be peace. Well, that was the first thing. And much more briefly, the second thing about these two men. These two men had learnt how to love. And if they had learnt how to live love, they could model to the Philippian church the attitude of love. Timothy, in verse 20, Paul says again, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He emphasizes the word genuine. It's not a fake interest. It's a real loving interest in your welfare. He's not coming as someone with a stick to beat you up. Nor is he coming as someone who would really rather be somewhere else, actually. He's coming, about with some, he's coming as someone who really cares about you. He's the real deal, the genuine article. And that's true of Epaphroditus as well. In verse 26, we read of how he is sent back because he longs for you all and is distressed because he heard that you knew he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. Somehow, Epaphroditus had taken ill whilst with Paul and almost died. But know that his distress wasn't at the illness itself. His distress was because the illness had gone out from that place. News of it had gone out back to his home church. And he knew that his home church was distressed. And his distress was at their distress because he loved them. I find this especially poignant because there's nothing like illness to make you self-centered sometimes. Especially... Amongst men, if I'm honest. That's why there is such a thing called man flu. Um, It genuinely does exist. and It's because men just complain more. I know for myself, when I've got a minor ailment, I just want all the sympathy. I want all the care. I want it to be about me. But here's Epaphroditus at death's door. And what is his concern? His concern isn't about himself. His concern is for his friends and family, the Philippian church that they're distressed at his distress. He genuinely loves them. And this love, these two men marked by such love, would have been a healing balm to that community, fractured and factitious, that would have taught them another way, to be those who have learnt how to love. The Christian mystic, St. John of the Cross, once said, in the evening of our lives, we will be judged by our love. First and foremost, of course, for Christ, but then also for each other. I think there are a lot of things that we might think are impressive about someone. I think the thing that probably impresses God most is men and women who have learnt how to love. And the question that I've been provoked to ask from these two examples is, Have we learned that lesson? We learned how to love. I have to admit personally, when I was younger, I was always impressed by those who were intellectuals, who were bright, who had amazing mental capacity, and I wanted to hang around them, hoping that somehow that might rub off on me. Then as I got slightly older, I became impressed by people with abilities who could do amazing things. And I thought, if I just hang around them, well, maybe that will hang, that will rub off on me. But you know what, as I've got older, I've still got a way to go. The thing that impresses me most now, people that have learned how to love. and I want to hang around them, that it might rub off on me. And these two men had learned that lesson. But it wasn't about them, it was about Jesus. And because Jesus and his love was at the center of their lives, they were able to love and bring peace and harmony and healing to an needed community. And if we learn this lesson we can do the same to a needy nation. Amen.